Sooner or later, all of us find ourselves confronted by a scenario like this. We find out that somebody we care deeply about has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Or we learn that somebody that we know has just been devastated by an unthinkable loss. One of their loved ones has died as a result of, a, of an accident, a murder, or a suicide. Perhaps we learn that someone's baby has miscarried, or a child or precious sibling has been disfigured or is dead. Maybe we learn that a neighbor has lost a job without any real realistic hope of being able to replace it. Or their spouse has told them they're leaving them and has walked out the door. What do you do in moments like these when the person that you know and care for or maybe don't know all that well, but is a neighbor to you, someone close, within your reach, at your workplace, down the street. What do you do in moments like those to reflect the call of Christ? We know that it is not an option for Christians when confronted with those kinds of circumstances to simply stand there and do nothing. Uh, We follow a God whose very nature is to enter into pain, and to serve needs there. We serve a God whose passion, as the prophet says, is to bind up the brokenhearted. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, says our God. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones, the Bible declares. Jesus in the New Testament proclaims a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you. And so the Apostle Paul sums up all of this teaching by saying to the church at Galatia, so bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The big idea here is that if we follow the God that the Bible reveals, if we follow Jesus through this world, then when someone is in crisis, we know we're meant to help. We are called to serve needs. And more than than anybody else on the block or in the workplace or in the family's life, we will be the ones most inclined to step into those particular places of need. The more difficult question, however, is how do we do that? And even more specifically, how do we help people in those circumstances without actually doing damage, without hurting? How do we help someone in crisis need without hurting? And I ask that particular question because it's been my experience that rendering appropriate care to somebody in a time of crisis need is a complicated business. Maybe you know that. I'm reckoning a lot of you understand that from your own experience. As a young pastor, I would go into hospitals to, to see sick people. And I would come out feeling sick myself. (laughs) You know, somebody would have abdominal problems, and I'd walk away with kind of an upset stomach. Uh, If there was was a leg surgery, I'd walk out with a limp. You know, it was my experience. 
Or, or I, I'd, I'd get near to grieving or dying people, and I would start to feel this deep sadness that would stay with me all day and maybe even all week long. I'd feel these fears about my own mortality that I, I didn't really want to face so young in life. I will confess that to this very day, I'm unable to, to care for people or counsel people who are having marital problems or difficulties with one of their kids without having my mind race to all of the things that still need work in my own family life. And I feel my anxiety level going up as I'm talking with them about the imperfections and struggles in their family. I never stand with people. Uh, who are feeling tormented by their bad choices or their sinful acts without feeling the greater weight of my own sin, my own resolved issues. And and so when I hear people talking about uh, rendering service or care to people in need and maintaining a professional distance when we do so, it's really hard for me to get there. Is it hard for you to get there? I'm not sure we're ever really, as followers of Jesus, meant to get there, to that place of professional distance. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, love must be sincere. Serving the needs of somebody else in crisis is never going to be, for a follower of Jesus, a merely clinical act from an emotional distance. Even if you're a professional caregiver, it won't be quite the same for you. It will be a sincere, as in a deep and true, entrance into the complexity and the mess of somebody else's confusion in a way that is bound to get to you, that is bound to ruffle you and stir you at the center. If you're going to get down in the ditch with people like the Good Samaritan did, you're going to get bloody. You're going to get dirt on your hands. If you're going to help people pass through sin or sickness or death, uh, you're going to be pierced by the pain of these things as well. If you're going to come close to the poor, you will find yourself heartbroken by the things, the circumstances that break them. The bottom line is that for followers of Jesus, the deepest kind of helping will almost always involve a measure of hurting. If if, if you're going to enter into the places Jesus did, then you'll find that the most significant serving sends you into suffering. And this is what we call the way of the cross. Now, Very few of us are excited about going the way of the cross. And and that is why I think a lot of us, when confronted with a really devastating need in the life of somebody else, adopt a variety of what I call safety strategies to protect ourselves in those circumstances. What I mean is that we adopt an approach to caring or serving that is unconsciously, I mean it's very rarely conscious that we're doing this, but it is aimed fundamentally at preserving our sense of emotional safety in the midst of those circumstances. And and as understandable as it is to do this, I mean I do this, I said this to you already this morning, I don't think anybody ever stops doing a little bit of this. 
But as understandable as it is to adopt these safety strategies, these strategies block us from really being of the transforming kind of help that people in dire need would really value us being. And over the years, I've talked with so many people who have been in those places of deep pain, who have been honest with me about what they find helpful and not helpful, that, that I can say with great certainty that what people in crisis do not need from us is separation, superficiality, or spiritualizing. And I want to take a moment this morning to think with you about each one of those safety strategies we often use in times of pain for others. What hurts me the most, one man with terminal cancer confessed to me once, is the separation from others I now feel. I was just an ordinary person. I got diagnosed with this disease, and now I'm separated from people. People avoid me now. I'm out at parties and social gatherings, and it's like they're awkward around me. They don't approach me. It's like I am already dead. Or a man had been given notice he was going to be laid off from his company, confided. People I worked alongside for years avoid eye contact with me now. It's like I'm a leper. It's like I've been pronounced unclean, and they separate themselves from me. Or a woman going through a divorce shared, the friends we had as a couple no longer call me. You'd think I had divorced them. And it was him that decided to leave. Why have they left me alone like this? It's awful enough to have your health or your job or your marriage dying or in dire need. It is agony to be separated from the living. Even when people are not so consumed with their own safety that they actually stop calling or coming around or connecting with people who are in deep need, the conversations people often have with those in crisis are often marked by a a sort of superficiality. That, that is very wearying or actually wounding to the already hurting person. A, a dying friend of mine once uh, shared with me what really wearies me are all the repetitive conversations I have to have. I mean, every time somebody comes to see me, you know, so, so, so tell me how the chemo is going. You know, and, and, and what, what kind of... What kind of cancer is this again? It's not like I haven't told them. Were they not listening the first ten times that that, that I told people about these things? Or or then they just breeze on them and talk about the bears or the weather or something else. What I really want, this particular friend said, what I'd like to talk about today is how scared I am of dying or of how uncertain I feel about God, even though I want to feel certain, or or about all the things I'm going to miss. 
and not be around for. And there are also those people who preserve their sense of safety by spiritualizing things with someone in crisis. I guess God must have needed Joe more in heaven, they'll say. Really? They needed Joe, God needed Joe more in heaven than here? Loving up and caring for those grandkids or those children? Really? God needed him more in heaven? Or, or they'll say, God must really have a lot of confidence in your faith that he's, he's letting you experience so much challenge and suffering. Or, or, or they'll say, you know, God never really closes a door without opening a window someplace. Don't lose heart. Have you heard somebody say something like this or maybe even said something like this yourself? The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 12 and verse 11 that we should never be lacking in zeal for our faith. We should keep our spiritual fervor at all times. We should be looking to serve the Lord in every single moment, but that does not mean that we are required to explain God's providence, to defend God's goodness, to to issue sermonettes at the point of people's deepest pain. Sometimes we just need to stand with people in their naked need amidst all of the mystery of the way God works and wills things in this world. We need to be there with them in the midst of the mystery and the mess of life like Jesus was. There's there's this unforgettable story. You've read it or or heard it read to you in John chapter 11 in which Jesus hears the news that his dear friend Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of Jesus' closest confidants and friends. Jesus, every time he's going up to Jerusalem, stops by and stays over with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and he hears the news that Lazarus is gone, suddenly dead, and his sisters are in absolute agony over this reality. And Jesus, of course, knows about God's power to, to bring life even out of death. In fact, in about 30 minutes, Jesus will raise Lazarus from the grave, right? I think it's safe to say that Jesus would have had the perfect words, right? I mean, if anybody would have known exactly what to say to explain the providence of God, if words were what would bring the most comfort in that circumstance, I think we know Jesus could have nailed it. So what does Jesus say to Mary and Martha as they cry out in anguish about why God had let this happen? Answer. Nothing. Jesus says nothing. John chapter 11 and verse 35 reads, shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. He just wept. If we want to serve the needy, we have to be as open as Jesus was to letting the pain and the brokenness 
of human life into ourselves, to feel it in the flesh, to let the pain pierce us. We have to push past the temptation to separate ourselves or stick to superficial conversations or to spiritualize matters. In other words, we have to surrender our emotional safety. Because once we've done this, we finally get to a place of sincerity, authenticity, rawness, reality in ourselves from which we can begin to serve others as Jesus does. And in Romans chapter 12, we're given some very specific handles, some sincerity strategies, as it were, for serving people in a helpful way when they're in crisis need. Are you open to listening to a few of those? I won't take long. In fact, I have to go at 9.30 or, or, or one of the musicians is going to preach. First of all, St. Paul says, if you want your love to be sincere, then hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. That admonition suggests another question it's helpful to ask. First question that we want to ask is, how can I help in this situation without hurting, without doing more damage? Second question, ask them, what feels especially wrong? or evil about your situation. People in pain need permission to talk honestly about what really hurts about the circumstances. And you might think, well, that you're dying or that you're divorcing. Well, that's enough specificity. No. The nature of pain or of those traumas, and you know this, you've been there yourself, is, is such that there is particularity to the loss, right? It's that I'm not going to be there when she walks down the aisle one day. It, it, it's, that, it's that all those Christmases to come, I'm going to be splitting half time with my ex, and, and, and with the kids and the grandkids. I mean, there's specificity to the nature of the loss, And people need to be able to describe their experience of darkness even if it doesn't feel safe. They need to know that there's somebody with whom it is safe to talk about these things, what's particularly hard, and that that when they do talk about them, you join them in hating those things too. Jesus doesn't just gloss past death and sin and darkness. He hates these things. And we should join people in that kind of ironically benevolent hatred of sin and evil too. A little boy was late in coming home from school one day. His mother was upset. He was really late. What in the world have you been doing? She asked. He explained that he had seen a a kid as he was walking home from school. Some bullies had come up and dumped the kids' books and they'd fallen down on the ground and some of them in a puddle. And, and, and his mother said, it took you an hour and a half to help him pick up the books? He said, no, it took me five minutes to help him pick up the books. It took me an hour and 25 minutes to help him cry. To really feel it with him. To hate. To hate. 
the injustice and the unexplained nature of providence and the brokenness and sinfulness of this world. We cannot always pick up the books, frankly. We can't pick up all the broken pieces that, that sin and evil shatter in this life. We can, however, always assure people they are not alone in the ruins. So as Paul says in Romans 12, 15, sometimes we just need to mourn with those who mourn. Another question to ask somebody in crisis is, where are you seeing any good? I recommend you don't ask that question until you've asked the first one, or the, the one before, okay? Don't rush on to, the sec, to that third question until you've asked about what's wrong, what's, where the evil and the darkness is. Um, but, but a dear friend of mine really reminded me of the value of asking this question about uh, the seeing of the good. I've shared this story with you in the past. He passed away after a three-year battle with a rare disease. He was in the prime of his life leading up to this time. And, and he, he, he most enjoyed, one of the things he most enjoyed talking about in, in his last months was the ironic grace, as he called it, that he experienced. He never expected that dying would teach him so much about living, but it did. He would choke up as he spoke of the deeper bond he'd found with his wife. The, the greater pleasure he, he now experienced in all of these simple things he had taken for granted. Or the hope that he found in the promises of God, even though, frankly, there were times when it was hard to trust them. The Apostle John once wrote, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And that is a truth that we hold on to as believers. That no matter how dark it gets, there's still a light. The rays of God's life and His love and His presence and His grace that will shine and cut through the darkness. And, and sometimes what people need is just a little bit of help spotting that light. We're, we're not to preach it to them. We're not to describe it to them. We're just to ask the questions that help them spot those rays of light for themselves. And seeing those rays doesn't remove all of their needs, of course, but it does remind them of the one who still works for their good in the midst of life's struggle. People, Paul also encourages us in Romans 12 and 13 to share with God's people in need. Practice hospitality, he said. There are so many ways to do this, but I hear people in need talk about the little things about the casserole dropped at the door, the restaurant gift certificate sent in the mail, the note of encouragement left by the house, the, the, the person who gave them the coat, who opened up the door to the job interview. Sometimes it's just the opposite that people need in a time of crisis. They just need to be left alone, especially during the end of life. I would say this is something very important to observe. Folks need margin. When they feel so ugly and miserable and out of sorts and control, they do not need us to stop by. Their family does not need us to interrupt their last days showing up at the door because it makes us feel like we've done something. Uh, sincere service requires that we be devoted to one another in brotherly lo love, verse 10 says, and that means seeking to honor one another above ourselves. The number one mistake we make when trying to care for the needs of other people is we do what makes us feel better instead of what makes them feel better, and we don't know the difference. So let me close by saying that 
that one of the ways that we can do this better is to simply ask this fourth question, what would feel like help to you right now? What would feel like help to you right now? They may answer, for you to leave. That's okay. You'd be helping. They may say, for you to to make me something to eat, for you to pay this bill, for you to just listen as I talk. Ultimately, we are called in times of crisis need for people to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Being joyful in hope does not mean putting on a smiley face or glossing over suffering. It means being one of those steady folks people can lean on when they're too weak because you are leaning on Jesus. Being patient in affliction means being one of those people who is not surprised when suffering is a long journey, when the folks do not get better right away or at all, and who stays with them through the ups and the downs of the journey. And being faithful in prayer means just that. It means being faithful in prayer for people. So, God wants us to enter into the life of other people with curiosity. Somebody you're going to meet out there in the days to come will really need you and what you have to offer. Do not let them find in you that penchant for safety that is all too common, but rather let them meet in you instead. An unusual passion for sincerity a commitment to that daring, serving love we meet most perfectly in Jesus, who once entered into the messiness, the darkness, the depth of this world's needs and served us with all that he was. Please pray with me. Lord God, help us to go out as ones who seek not to be served, but to serve and to give ourselves after your example. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.